Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. Today's topic is, is key real or BS? Joining me in this discussion is Oliver Martinez. Before we get started, please consider supporting this podcast by liking and sharing it. If you're interested in even more content, please consider subscribing to the Spirit Aikido online program. We currently have more than 235 videos in the program. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Sorry about the break. Things have been really busy lately. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, but I'm very excited to have my friend Oliver Martinez back uh, on the podcast. Welcome, Oliver. Thank you. It's always fun to come in and, and hash some of this stuff out. So there's only so many people in your circle that you can talk to about stuff like this. So it's, <laughs> it it's always fun to do it. I love every episode that I've recorded, but this one has been particularly intriguing to me because I think the word key is probably the most misunderstood and argued about word and has so many more meanings than, than just about any other word I can think of in, in just about any language. Um, so today's topic is uh, key. Is it real or is it BS? Um, and that's, I think, a question that has many uh, martial artists arguing and bickering and and uh, about what it is. Uh, and it's, it's, it's hard to nail down. And it's, it's something that I really I think is important to talk about. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have Oliver back on is that he and I both come from a similar lineage, and that is uh, through Koichi Tohei uh, and then Bill Sosa. And as anybody knows, Koichi Tohei was kind of the key guy. He, he wrote the book, Key in Daily Life. Key was a major part of his teaching and his interpretation of Aikido. Um, and he went on to found the Key Society focused entirely on the study and development of Key. Uh, even to the point of kind of leaving physical technique behind, like that was a very minor part of, of the focus. And why I wanted to talk to Oliver is that although he and I both come from this lineage uh, of through Koichi Tohei and the focus on the importance of key, uh, Bill Sosa kind of separated back in the, what was that, in the mid-70s? Um, so I think in the late 70s, he joined SetaCon and then. Mm -hmm. And by 1996, he had started his own organization, uh, International Aikido Association. So there was definitely a progression of uh, him developing kind of his own feelings and, and thoughts about the matter. So, but, but as I understand it, Sosa kind of parted ways with Tohei when Tohei was getting deep into the key thing and kind of stepping away from the physical expression of, of the practice of the martial art of Aikido. Yes. So, you know, obviously this was before my time. I started in 1992. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's so I've kind of pieced together things over the years about how it happened, but I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving a complete like historical right. breakdown. But what is very clear to me was that at some point since they felt that he might not be free to, to train the martial aspects of his art mm -hmm. to the extent that he was comfortable with sure. that, the, the, the key uh, development had maybe gone a different route than what he had signed up for. And from what I understand, that was not uncommon um, at that time period is that everybody in America was kind of faced with this decision. Do you, do we follow Tohei who kind of brought Aikido here, but maybe he's 
personally decided to go in a different direction than what we were first interested in, or do we do we go elsewhere? And I think that was probably a very common conversation happening. Mm-hmm. I think since it was part of that uh, conversation and uh, made the decision to split at, at that sure. point. And I think the important part here is that he Sosa did keep a certain amount of focus on that on key. It's not like he ejected it entirely. And you and I have both been exposed to yes. that that focus and teaching of the internal side. And this is where it gets to uh, the kind of the, in the prep work for this episode. I, in order to define, okay, is key real or is it BS? You need to identify it, like I uh, to thoroughly describe exactly what key is supposed to be. And as I started thinking about it. I came up with seven different versions of what key is that some are related to one another and others are are unrelated. Yeah. And so I wanted to go through each one of these and we're going to talk about them uh, kind of in depth because the, I think this is where the arguments between practitioners really come into play mm-hmm. of, oh, key is, is this and it's not that. And, and then you get kind of the circular discussions mm-hmm. and debates that don't really go anywhere. Um, when you asked me uh, about this particular topic to come on and talk, I had an instantaneous like adrenaline dump because of the <laughs> because I was like, oh my gosh, we can't talk about it because the, you know Aikido has three characters: I, Ki, and Do. Mm-hmm. And if you're picking one of those, you're and you're try, we're going to attempt to define it, and we're going to attempt to kind of wrangle it. That's a third <laughs> of the word, sure. so it has huge implications for then what. Aikido is, you know, if you look yeah, at what he is, then you're absolutely, yeah, you're, you're, uh, it, it's, it's big. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I guess what In I'm fact, saying. It's, it's of the three, it, it's kind of the biggest. It is the most intricate and the most misunderstood yep. and the most, and when I say yeah. misunderstood, I really want to be clear. I don't want to convey this. Like I have my opinion of key and that's what it absolutely is mm-hmm. because that's not the case. Yeah. There is, this is so intricate mm-hmm. of how it's presented and in my opinion, that's not a strength. That's actually a weakness. So maybe divisive is a better term. Divisive. You know, it's exactly. a divisive uh, with concept. Any, with any word or term or principle, if it sows confusion, it's detrimental. It's It doesn't, uh, good principles are clear and easy to describe and easy to define. They might be complex, but they're at least, when you describe them, students can understand how, how they work and that they're complete. Um, they, they students can gain understanding as opposed to lose understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one thing that frustrates me about the term key and why in my, when I teach my students, I don't ever use the word anymore. It just doesn't provide any clarity. Um, and generally when I've seen it used, people have questions and those questions tend to divert from what was trying to be taught just because it's, I think it's a poor language tool. But let me go through these these seven things that yeah, uh, different versions that I've identified and that I've heard uh, described as here's what key is. And some of these I like, some of these I don't, but I can see a certain validity to most of them. Um, the first one is that key is internal strength and that it is a combination of how to use your body and all the muscles and structure of your body correctly to get the most efficiency the most power out of say a stance or a, uh, a movement, you're using good body alignment and physical alignment. Uh, I, and I would equate this to kind of like how a pool player, a, a billiards player would, mm-hmm. would use the term English, mm-hmm. not just hitting a ball with a stick. He's using a very minute amount of control over how exactly that 
cues is hitting the ball and how to create the correct spin that he wants. And so it's, it's an intricate way of using the body. Um, and this I see echoed in all martial arts, anything with movement, which is, there isn't any martial art that doesn't have any movement, but anything with striking, there's, you know, a punch is not a punch. Yeah. Until you find that internal part of it, how you're, uh, you know, rotating your arm, how you squeeze your fist, all those minute things. That is a robust language to describe all of that internal strength part. And I, I've definitely seen the argument that that's what key is, is, is getting that internal strength part. And see, I would, I would say that is an excellent definition of I key. I, I, that is a wonderful, and it's pretty much kind of where I've settled too when I'm trying to elevate or pitch I key to somebody. Mm-hmm. It's that. It's um, those really solid body mechanics, but the minutia of body mechanics. Sure. So what I would say is key is an ingredient in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. And again, when I, I don't use, I'm like you, I don't use that term anymore i i i describe the term um without using the term sure. <laughs> just well, and, me, and i found more success doing this that. one deeply let me go through the other six and we'll come back to this because sure, let's do it yeah on this one i think that are gonna be good um the second one is key is a nuance of connection and that is it is how you connect to your attacker or uke uh that is that describes key now this is a description i've not heard very often but i've definitely heard it it's how you manage and i've heard this described as i key as well because mm-hmm. i is the blending right mm-hmm. um or the the um yeah blending i suppose is a very good word for it so the key part is is your internal side that is connecting to uke so it's it's a way of managing connection and and usually the people that that describe this is also kind of what your mental state is as you manage that connection so they've got a depth of understanding there uh, regarding that one um the third one is your attitude or your intent like what it, what's kind of in your heart or what's in your uh your you could call it your strategy like mm-hmm. the choices that you make are based on key and, and there's this tends to be the positive key, negative key. If you if you have a positive attitude, you you'll be more benevolent and generous. And if you have a negative key, you'll be vindictive and vengeful. That sort of thing. Um, you could also call this the conscious mind side of mm-hmm. of key, like your your what's going on in your forebrain, your thoughts. Uh, the fourth one is your feelings or emotions. Um, key is described as you know or articulated as things like anger or rage or kindness or uh gentility that that sort of thing um and there, there's i think of perhaps a validity to that of course i'm not a native japanese speaker so i can't really go into the depths of the japanese language uh, and the fifth one is your spirit and i think this could be also described in i guess more academic terms as your subconscious mind like what's going on deep inside of you that you you don't really have control over your spirit. It, it's your emotions are a manifestation of that. But see, as we go down this list, we're getting from more the tangible, the physical, and mm-hmm. deeper into the mental and the emotional, uh, and what lies underneath. So the spirit would be the uh, the fifth one. The sixth one, and this is one in preparing for this episode, I, I 
went back over Key and Daily Life by, by Koichi Toei because it's probably one of the best, most practical books on key. And I remember reading it uh, shortly after I, I, I started practicing Aikido and learning it. And it, it struck me as a very solid, very good book. And I went back and reread it and it came across really religion-y to me, mm-hmm. um, especially in the, before he gets into describing the physical, <clears throat> the um, exercises and, and how to feel key. <clears throat> but putting it into context of what it is. And he pretty much put it into some kind of a, a life energy of the universe mm-hmm. or the, the overall, um, you know, the, the universal key that you want to try to get in harmony with. Mm-hmm. And, and as I reread that, I don't recall the first time I, having read it, that it came across quite a, as much of a pseudo religion as it, as it did. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you could say probably that it would, almost cover like a almost like an atheist's way of describing religion but at any rate mm-hmm. the sixth one I, I thought was that you know the key of the universe like mm-hmm. there's you were part of a larger grand thing and then the last one <clears throat> which is just flat out sorcery um and this is this is more of a modern interpretation that comes from the anime and the and the um Although I, I think it goes farther back than that, but the the was it the Jenga and the being able to throw key balls and, and levitate yes. and walk through walls because you you master your key. And <clears throat> granted, it didn't come from there necessarily. There were some charlatan arts that were that were teaching how to use key to heal yourself and how to levitate and how to become invisible and and all this this sort of thing. And and I I, I want to include this one not because it's practical in terms of study for martial arts, but if there was one warning sign I would give anybody in looking for a teacher is being able to spot that sorcery yes. um, and know when you're being BS. Because if if the answer is, is key bullshit, this is the one that lands the BS marker big time. Well, you know, the uh, funny part about that is anytime somebody uh, comes to an I- our Aikido classes, mm-hmm. um, and key was the drawing factor. That was the thing I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, number seven is what they're looking for. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and I'm always like, I am going to sorely disappoint you. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> I, I am absolutely not what you are, are looking for. Right. Um, and it's kind of the elephant in the room. And it's, I think it has to be addressed mm-hmm. of, you know, how not to slide down into that. Because I think it's easy to have people come into to class or into your, and express an interest in that. And you want to give it to them. You want you want to satisfy your customer, basically. And I think that's a dangerous path um, where you can promise some kind of a power that's beyond understanding. And and that's the part overall with the term key. If you if there's no real understanding of what it is, it, that's the easiest thing to fall into of mm-hmm. the mysticism part of it. So let's go back to the top of the list and just go through each one of these uh, kind of in depth. And that is that internal strength part. Um, I don't think that there's anything, any way of denying that there is internal strength and alignment and control of the body that is necessary. It's not even a luxury with martial arts. It is necessary. Mm -hmm. It makes you function well, makes you move well, makes you be able to apply power, apply leverage, um, all of that stuff. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. necessary. I, I think though that the, the practitioners and instructors that obsess about internal strength, and there's plenty of them, there's arts that are based entirely on it, 
Uh, it's good to study that, but that's not the only tool in the toolbox. Mm. It just yeah, has so to be part of it. That first one I just wrote down as body mechanics. Mm -hmm. I, I, and again, so kind of what we discussed here, I would call that that minutia of body mechanics Ike. Mm -hmm. But the key part of it, um, I'm going to back up. There's a guy I really like, uh, Chong Zi. He's a, a performance coach. He's a Tai Chi practitioner performance coach. He's really into uh, fascia, um, which in my opinion, I think that's where the conversation of key is going to go mm -hmm. in the next. I mean, it's already there. I think, I think it may exclusively be there in the next few years. Mm -hmm. So in, his, in one of his interviews, he talked about how originally Tai Chi, uh, the term Chi meant silk web referring to fascia, but through a miss, I, I guess maybe the word is similar to chi, inner, you know, like we have bark and bark, right? There's like tree bark and there's the noise that the dog makes, right? right, right. Same kind of deal. So there was like the silk web, which was the fascia. They didn't know what it was. They just knew there's a stuff in there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then somehow that got corrupted to chi, the energy. Mm -hmm. And so in Tai Chi, there was just this misunderstanding of what the original intent of the term was. Okay. So I, I, I wrote him, I asked him, he was very gracious with his time. Very, and, um, he did not have to respond to just some rando on the internet, but he said it's a different word in Japanese, but basically what his take on it was key refers to the mechanical energy. And he, okay. he said, you know, like heat and momentum. And uh, so when you think about like physics, essentially, right. right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the body mechanics, I would call that I key. Mm -hmm. And I would put the key part of that, uh, at least if we're talking about it in this context as the mechanical energy and we would use that term anyway right if you were in a physics class you would be talking about mm -hmm. energy right mm -hmm. so i and i use that all the time like I, I talk about that all the time i just don't use the word key for it sure uh but you see that in wrestling mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu they call it pressure mm -hmm. right they and they're talking about that physic the the expression of the physics on another body so mm -hmm. if you said i want you to blend with your partner's key hopefully what you're talking about um, i can't speak for everybody but hopefully what you're talking about is you are trying to manage this other person's physical mechanical energy mm -hmm. what are you doing with their momentum with their pressure uh, with their explosiveness um is it a pushing thing is it a pulling thing so i think that to should be like when we talk about key, that should really be our, our number one, the physical uh, right. thing. We could open a physics textbook and go like, this is what we mean. You know, no, when you say and that's the thing. If, if somebody's listening and wondering why either one of us or, or not just say why, what we've, what have we replaced it with when we teach, mm. what, what have we replaced the term key? How do we teach that internal side without it? And, and I love how you describe this with physics. Cause I do the exact same thing, mm. for example. And I think many people have, done Aikido at least know of the unbendable arm right exercise and that's a perfect example of I've seen it taught from a key standpoint mm -hmm. where it's described as you as you hold your arm out straight you picture your your fingers shooting water out you know spraying mm. you know 30 yards past uke to try to get uh try to keep your arm straight I go to entirely physics based description mm -hmm. where if you rigidly hold your arm you've got two sets of muscles that are working in opposition pulling against each other it feels like you're using a lot of energy which you are but when when somebody pulls down on your elbow to get you to bend half of your muscles are actually helping them bend your arm mm -hmm. and when you think of extending 
the only muscles that are firing are the ones that are extending your arm. And you therefore now basically twice as strong just because of which muscles you're starting to use. It doesn't have anything to do with spraying water. Although right. your mental, that is a mental uh, tr trick to kind of get somebody to use their body in a slightly different way. But see, that's an, that's another, I feel like pretty healthy way to discuss key as a, as performance science, right? Like visualization, sports right. psychology, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So as a visualization tool. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'll do that too. Again, without using the word key, we'll use visualization. But to be like a like an archery, you know, I've heard, I'm not, I'm, I'm not into archery, but I've heard people go like, well, you want to guide the arrow in flight. Well, mm -hmm. that's a visualization tool, right? We, right. I would like to think you're not trying to teach your student to physically you know psychically yeah, move the arrow and flight right yeah, yeah. it's just a, it's a visualization tool mm -hmm. and so same thing we do unbendable arm or ikkyo undo we use that as like sports psychology mm -hmm. to get the proper muscle recruitment sure and it's and you can say that in one word key mm -hmm. and if if your student knew that when you said key you meant proper mental visualization along with proper muscle recruitment we would be okay okay right. but if your student, if we say key and what your student thinks is number seven, sorcery, mm -hmm. now you got a problem. You know, big, now you got a really big, big problem. problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where, you know, as a teacher, the, the language you use, uh, you can even start to frame it. In fact, one of the, one of the triggers I've seen that coaches will use to kind of, let's say I'm working with you and I see that every time you do a movement, you lift the front of your foot up and you're in bad balance. And so I'll say, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set the front of your foot down. And I need you to turn your knee a little bit and, and set your weight correctly. But every time I see you lift your foot, I'm not going to give you all that description. I'm just going to pick a word, apple. Mm -hmm. So we're going to attach apple to put your foot down, have your knee out, get your balance right. And so when I'm watching you perform, I'll go apple and you trigger in your brain, you set your foot down. Right. It's just a, a shorthand way of describing one particular thing. Now, if I use the term apple for keep your eyes up, roll your shoulders back. I used Apple for keep your elbows tucked in. You wouldn't even know what I was talking about. Right. When I'd say Apple, like, well, all right, which problem is it? <clears throat> and so this is kind of the tricky part of the, the language of coaching. Right. And so then you go back one step, you know, one generation past that, and you've got somebody who's like a home run hitter and like, how are you doing that? And you go like, Apple. Right. The power of the Apple. Right. Yep. And I don't know what they're talking about, but, <laughs> and then you go one more generation and then that's it. It, right. you're done you know it's the power of the apple is the reason that you can hit home runs you right know? and then Which, say, well, what he's talking about apple he's a lunatic he's yeah. out of his freaking mind you know well and the um, funny thing is it's kind of it's kind of true right the power right. of the apple is what did it right. and that's why it gets so murky right because there's an element of truth to it there's an mm -hmm. element of accuracy to it but then there's these preconceived notions and i like what you you always you know about being cloudy or uh you know, it's just unclear. Right. And then that's when we, we run into some, some real difficulties. Exactly. Um, uh, one last thing I wanted to put in about internal strength, and this is something I've noticed from uh, Japanese and, and the Eastern Asian martial arts in particular, is they're focused very much entirely on what you are doing. There's the idea that you're not worried about or concerned about what your opponent's doing. You're only interested in what you're doing. And I think that that's kind of a, a benefit and a hazard of, of focusing on internal strength because any strategist 
you know, Sun Tzu will tell you, you have to know what you're doing as well as knowing what your opponent's doing. And I think this bridges us into the next one, which is the nuance of connection <laughs> of now you have to learn your, the internal part so well that you don't even think about it. So now you've, that frees your mind up to study what the challenge you're facing. What is your opponent doing? What's the range? What's, what is his movement? You know, trying to read how to connect well. And then you can get into the nuance of managing that connection. And then that part being key, or this would be I-key. I guess somebody, yes. some people refer to I-key as that. Um, then, and that brings me in kind of to the, what you were saying about the fascia. And, I, and I've heard this, that statement before and that perspective before, although never to a, a depth that I found uh, in, uh, that I could fully comprehend. Uh, now, my wife is a body worker, so I understand the physical part of the fascia, uh, at least, uh, you know, a summary of it. <clears throat> and I think a lot of Aikidoists, and I guess I myself be included, I love it when I can do a technique that's so light that my attacker does not feel manipulated at all. And that when I've heard the description of, of that connecting to the fascia, what it seems to me like, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, because you seem to have more exposure to this concept is you want to, if you connect to somebody's skeleton, like let's say you grab their arm and you're trying to grab the bone, they can feel that. They can, they feel that input. Now, is it the connecting to the fascia that is you want to connect so light that you're connecting to that silk web part so that you're kind of fooling their, their, their their brain in the fact that they don't feel that physical input it's not a threat immediately right it's not a threat yeah. immediately is that is that what they're talking about so all right full disclosure i'm not an expert at this in any form or fashion but i got friends that are okay so sure. that's that's my disclaimer you selected a holiday and express yeah exactly right uh so i have a buddy he trained with sosa sensei we we've been training together for a real long time mm -hmm. and he uh he's a chiropractor, but he almost doesn't even use that term anymore because he works more on soft tissue than he does mm -hmm. bone cracking and stuff like that. Yeah. But we've kind of tackled this together from, from an Aikido perspective and from a, uh, you know, kind of from a, a soft tissue worker perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and in it, we've kind of come up with some interesting insights. Uh, again, when we talk about connection, I would equate that to I key versus just the key. Again, the key being a component of it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I read an article by Dan Harden a few years ago, and he, he really kind of changed just this one article. I, I should probably go train with him at some point if I can. But mm -hmm. uh, the article alone was a real big uh, change. So when I was coming up, and I bet when you were coming up too, we talked a lot about connecting to UK. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, you got your UK and you need to connect your UK center before you do something. And uh, it's very, it was very difficult, very hard thing to do. Takes a long time. Uh, and in this article by Ann Hart, he, he basically makes the case that that's the wrong way to approach, approach it. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm attempting to connect to them, I'm giving stuff up. Right. And if we do it, Kokudosa, I know exactly what he's talking about. Right. Because if you've got this guy who's a limp noodle when he's on the UK side and you're you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing before too long, you're at the edge of your balance, if not completely off balance. And you still haven't done anything to him. Right. So he flips that on the head and goes, no, no, no. Connection is more about you being connected, like as a connected body. Right. 
which we'd call Ike. And he didn't say it in exactly these terms, but where I kind of ran with it is, it is the UK's responsibility to connect with you. We refer to that in our school as an attack, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what winds up happening is you get this limp noodle UK and you go, well, what? you're not doing the technique to me. I'm like, you're not doing it. I don't need to do a technique. You're just standing there. There's no attack here. There's no, you are not attempting to move me off my base, pull me, push me, punch me. Um, so if you're, so, the, so let's go back to the fascia part. So the fascia work really is about you getting connected, your body being one unit, right? Which sounds familiar. We've talked about that, you know, in, for, for decades in Aikido. And it's when the uke is exerting ki, that mechanical energy, that physical energy, he's going to hit your fascial system. And when that happens, now that you've got that unmovable body and that unbendable arm. Mm -hmm. And it's like what you said, I kind of don't really care what he's doing at that stage. Now, where the strategy and stuff comes in is that's, that's jujitsu at that point. You know, right. we, we, our, our parent art called it Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, you know, Daichi Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. But anything that deals, let me back up and say, this is the way I teach it. I don't know if anyone else in the world teaches this way, but I suspect that they do. So if it has to do with us, it's Aiki. If it has to do with the UK, it's Jiu-Jitsu, right? That now is, it, and the reason I say that is the O-sensei would go up into the mountains doing Lord knows what sword stuff, staff stuff, hitting trees with his hands or whatever. Never an UK there. But he'd come back and then people were like, what did he just do up there? You know, because now every time I put my hands on him, I'm, you know, I can't do anything. So he did not need an UK to develop his key or to develop his IQ. But when the UK gets interjected into the exchange, now we're talking about jujitsu, right? I'm I'm, I'm working my timing, I'm working my distancing, I'm working the joints, I'm striking his head. But if you do the jujitsu with the stuff that you develop, the connected body, then we have Aikido jujitsu. And then as you had a conversation with Ellis, history calls it Aikido, right? Mm -hmm. Through this process of, of politics and things like that, we mm -hmm. call that Aikido. Mm -hmm. But so that's just sort of the way we, we do it. When we say connect, if I tell my students, to connect, I'm talking about them. Dude, your arm is like way out here. You need to get that in. You need to get your elbows in. You need to get your, your hands turned. So when I say connection, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the other guy. Sure. That guy wants to push you. He's going to bump into your system. He's connected. And then you do something with that. And sure. that's just sort of the way we approach it so that we stay real clear and there's this process. And we're not saying stuff like... Uh, you know, we can remove key from that conversation, the, the word key from the conversation, mm -hmm. but still maintain all the facets of, of that process. Sure. Yeah. And I know as we're going along this discussion, we probably won't even get to a, well, here's a good way to, to work key when you should use the word when you shouldn't, but to kind of understand each, each of these and how they're viewed, you can have a better understanding of, of, I guess, the complexity of calling yes. all of this stuff key. Absolutely. Um, and, and I do think that there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to terminology. And I really hope that we, we've helped people that are listening to this get a little clarity. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to solve the word problem, but if they at least have a grasp of, okay, what am I looking at here? And they can describe it in a way that's not just one, one blanket word. Um, you know, I, I recall seeing on the forum just this last week about how 
uh, you know, a longtime practitioner posted and said, because um, we're talking about Giawaza. Yes. And we're uh -huh. describing what Giawaza was. He said, or, or, or just the definition. He said, oh, I thought Giawaza was, was uh, free play. Or, and he said, I thought Randori was free play. Whereas yeah. Randori translates directly to grabbing chaos. Chaos, seizing chaos, right? Seizing, yeah. Seizing chaos, exactly. So, you know, and, and I mean, I mean no disrespect because this is the problem we have within the martial arts world is <clears throat> misunderstandings about basic terminology of what these things mean. Yeah. And the only way through it is not necessarily to just argue about what it what a word is or isn't, but to understand what the word is supposed to represent. Like don't focus on the word as much as the meanings and the and the underlying principles that are that we're trying to convey and maybe we have, come up with better language to do that and i think we're starting to to see that have you ever uh, looked into like the invisible jujitsu stuff coming from from hicks and gracie the bjj stuff? i've looked so, a little bit into hicks and gracie stuff but i've i've not looked into the, okay. the invisible jujitsu no so i'm a jujitsu like <clears throat> dabbler like okay. I, I train once a week in my buddy's garage you know like i, I i'm in no means a uh I, I wouldn't even call myself a jujitsu jiu guy, right? I, I love it. It's fun. And I like to do it. And it really helps my Aikido quite a bit. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was looking up uh, the invisible jujitsu stuff. And essentially what it is, it's connection work, right? Okay. And so you see these guys, these uh, fourth degree, fifth degree Brazilian jujitsu black belts. Or, and when you hear them talk about their invisible jujitsu, it sounds like us talking about key. And you go, see, sure. it's hard. It's really right. hard to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you feel it and you can associate the feeling with what your teacher's saying, then it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It made sense to me because I'm like, I've been there. I know where those guys yeah. are coming from because I have also had to associate that feeling with what my teacher was saying. You don't have to sure. pair those things. But as, if, you, if you pull yourself out and you're an outsider, you go like, that's not going to make a lick of sense. To your purple belt jujitsu guy who's mm -hmm. never maybe felt exactly what you're talking about sure. you know everything has been attribute based up until now you know mm -hmm. and, and you realize this stuff is just really hard to talk about and it doesn't matter what your art is you know mm -hmm. it's just complex so now are you what, what you're talking about is that where they you start to do a lot of flow work that's that's focused on light sensitivity or how like what is no, that so what it is um and you know what it is it's, I'm sorry for any of my jujitsu people. I know I'm going to butcher, but I'll tell you what it is from where I'm sitting. It's Aiki. That's mm -hmm. all it is. So it's, if I put a choke on this way, mm -hmm. it's so, so effective. But if I, and then, I mean, I'll, I'll do my parody of, but if you connect and, and, and you get your body just right, then it's really, really effective. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. And that's all it is. It's body work. It's internal structure stuff applied to Brazilian jujitsu. Okay. But when they're, when they're trying to explain it, like on a video, you can see, yeah, man, I don't, it's hard to get a verbal reference point for this mm -hmm. because it's, it's a kinesthetic thing, sure. you know? And that's where the Aikido people, I mean, I get it. When I would try to touch my sensei and he would move an inch and I was off balance and on my way down, I could either attempt to explain that or I could just go like, he just blended with my key, man. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like he just, <laughs> you know, he, did, he disrupted my key. And, sure. and we just start to use that language. And unless you have paired that terminology with being dumped on your head by someone barely moving, mm -hmm. you, you don't have a reference point. And it sounds like number seven. It starts to sound like sorcery, you right. know? 
Right. You because know, and I can see that because when I when I work with, uh, you know, my friend is who teaches me grappling and has for some time, you know, you can feel a difference of you reach out to touch them or grab them. And there's and I've heard this described in terms of earth key, fire key, water key, mm -hmm. air key. You grab and there's something to grab there and you attach to them. And then he kind of turns it around. But there's a solidity there. And then you get to a point where you reach out to grab and there's a either a counter movement or something where you don't even feel like you get a hold. And I, this is where I think a lot of Aikido tends to have such a great work with countering grabs where you can take what is in one instant, a solid connection grab and you remove the connection from it just by how you shift. So you, so you as Uke, you get the feeling like you're trying to grab water out of the mm -hmm. air or you're trying to grab air like something's not even there um and and so i think that connection point and, and granted i i learned of that that air key earth key fire key thing from a guy much older than i was who mm -hmm. studied back in the 60s and 70s he said it was an art very similar to aikido and i think it was called taijutsu or something like that i don't mm -hmm. know where what what he had but it sounds like bujin khan I think yeah it could be, be. Yeah. he didn't use that term but it was yeah. probably before they they adopted that but yeah he said that it was often just that connection was described kind of in those terms of like you would say how how would you inter intricately describe what happened when that connection suddenly mm -hmm. hit and you could you know as naga you would try to move in such a way that that's the feeling you're creating but the there has to be solid intent there and i think where a lot of the the key focused practice goes tends to be drift away from the physical <clears throat> to try to capture that magical part well, and, and without the physical aspect right you won't really ever get to that level of saying all right what's it like to be have somebody grab me and they just feel like they can't get a hold of me anyway just because of how i'm moving but you said, you know, the, you know, the earth key, water key, that's a really good example of also a turn of phrases being taken out of context, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to grab my sensei and every time I do, he's just just outside of my grasp. He's just at the perfect range. He's mm -hmm. got the perfect timing. And then you and I are talking after class. I'm like, dude, it was like, it was like trying to grab wind, man. Mm -hmm. And every time I got hit, it just felt like, I was getting hit with a like a rock. I mean, mm -hmm. how many generations before they start talking about those types of? It was like smoke, man. It was like right. Well, it was trying to grab key. fire. Yeah. It was like trying to grab fire. Man, he hit yeah. me. It felt like fire. Mm -hmm. How many generations before you go? Well, it's fire key. Right. You know, and, and really, what you meant was it should be. There's an intensity to it, or mm -hmm. there's a lightness to it, mm -hmm. uh, or the timing of it should feel like this, or the the solidity of it should mm -hmm. feel like this. Right. And then, you know, next thing you know, we were talking about trying to manifest our earth key. Well, really what we should be working on is organizing our posture. Right. So sure, that we solid. feel more stable, you yeah. know. And, and then to have the judgment of knowing at this moment, I need to be solid, not mm -hmm. and you choose correctly, you know, so you yes. can, I guess, put it in those different words. Um, all right. Well, <clears throat> unless you have more to add to this particular one, I think we'll jump to the, the, the third one, which is your attitude or your intent. And this is something that I think is a mainstay of the contemporary Aikido world of be a nice person, just be kind and benevolent. And that, that should be your, your spirit or your, I shouldn't say spirit, cause we're going to get to the spirit part mm -hmm. later. But if you're, if you're thinking about kindness, then, then you're doing 
that's the key part of your Aiki or your Aikido. Mm-hmm. And, and I can understand how that would be, <clears throat> that's an important thing. I mean, attitude is, and how you deal with the world is, is important with everything, having a positive attitude and not being, falling into the negativity of, of anger or rage or mm-hmm. hatred or, or what have you. Um, but I also think that for the most part, it tends to lean, at least in the Aikido world, to a very, very pacifist state of mind in the, in the thought of, well, <clears throat> if you piece together, and I remember in, in high school, I would do a lot of mathematical proofs. So you have to, if you're going to establish a concept, you have to prove what the principles mm-hmm. that it's built on. And if you, if your proof is that, well, it takes two to get into a fight, right? Cause that's a fight between yeah. two people. If one person is kind and nice, then you won't have a fight. Well, that's where the, the proof fails because you can just get a beating. You can be the nicest person in the world with kindness in your heart and somebody who doesn't will just beat you. And then all you've done now is suffered, suffered, been a victim. And, uh, you know, and then the, the, the argument would come in to, well, you, if you weren't there, then you wouldn't get into that fight. You would basically, if you run away again, this is an ideological, this is an ideal, but it's also not universal. You cannot always run away, or you may also be, get trapped or be in a place where escape is not possible, or you try to escape and you fail. You just aren't, can't run fast enough, or they catch right. you, or what have you. Um, or you get caught into a, a, a pre-made ambush that doesn't have an escape route. And that's, these real real things come they, they don't address the just have kindness in your heart. And by, by no means am I advocating not to be a kind and benevolent person. But it's to realize when you don't have the option of the kindness. So, I think that, I mean? like, I, I think this is a really good example of how there's, there should be nuance to this judgment, like you said on our last topic. Mm-hmm. Because at, I, I think... And again, man, who am I in the Aikido world to say? But in in my opinion, the the Aikido philosophy would be, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna link your intent and your feelings to kind of together. Those two topics I think are related, very very very. Yeah, and that's the next right? one is the emotions and the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put those together because uh, in a self def- if we're talking about in a martial context or self def- more specifically a self defense context, at the very least, the Aikido philosophy should say we don't want to be a part of the cause of that right Correct. so Correct. we shouldn't be mean mugging somebody we mm-hmm. should be careful with the way we choose our words we should be um cognizant you know, read the room cognizant of what the social norms are uh so I, I think the flip side of your intent is your sensitivity not only are you not only are you aware of your intent but you're aware of other people's intent mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. And so that might be the part that's missing where, and, and kind of to your point earlier, where you said, uh, sometimes we, we think too much about just what we're doing. Mm-hmm. There's a pitfall to that. If yeah. you are not sensitive to the cultural norms of wherever you are, of the effect that your words are having, mm-hmm. um, there, you could be causing a problem and not even be aware of it. Right. And even even your lack of words, and I would count this. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're you're a bystander, and you see somebody getting bullied, picked on, or even attacked, and you say, "Well, you know, I, I I'm not going to actively participate in a fight, so I'm just going to stand here." And so, that's the same 
this kind of the same side of, or the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that would be sort of the, um, the two sides of that coin is both having, being aware of your intent, mm-hmm. having positive intent. Right. Um, but also being aware of other people's intent and the effect that, that, that you're having on other people. And it, because if you're missing either of those, then, you know, if I come at you with bad, you know, in our culture, what do we call it? Man, she's got, she's got bad vibes or, you know, culturally we might call it something different that that could cause trouble. Or I could have all the, the good intent in the world, but be making some sort of cultural faux pas that I'm not aware of because I'm not sensitive to, to what's happening to the other person. So I think if people talk about re, you know, um, your key or sensing key, that's really what they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, social awareness, emotional intelligence, sure. um, situational awareness, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, and again, I never have to use the word key to talk about those concepts. Right. So well, that, that your behavior, <clears throat> you, and this is, I think, obvious to anybody, you know, about probably about four years old, that <laughs> your, your attitude should not be one that provokes somebody into anger. You think right? that would be and, and that's valid. You, you certainly don't yeah. want to run around being a loudmouth and, and, and provoking people into wanting to attack you. However, there's the other side of that coin is that there are people out there that see the happiest person in the room and just say, you know what, I'm unhappy and I'm going to go make them. And you're going to be unhappy too, right? Yeah. And, and this is, this is a thing. And, and, you know, sadly having the positive attitude and having that be kind of the only card in your deck when you, should you run into somebody like that? And, and not to say that that's always going to be into a physical fight, but I've, I've watched people with a very toxic attitude they'll find somebody who's just happy and joyful and they'll mm-hmm. go over and they'll start asking them a question or they'll start getting into a conversation that's meant to just bring them down. Yeah. Like they, they're, it's a, a verbal version of the same, the same principle. And this is out a little bit outside the topic uh, that we're, that we're covering today, but I, I really, it's, it's why I've, I've stayed in love with Aikido all this time and I would probably never fall out of love with it is because it, you can, you can take your Aikido and apply it to a social situation. So if it on the mat, someone's coming in and trying to push and I, I tend con and I redirect that into a place where it's kind of uh, good for both of us. Like you're not dead. I'm not dead. Mm-hmm. That, like, so there's that, that martial interaction. We're not in the, in the midst of conflict right now. We're not in the midst of conflict, right? I've reframed that conflict. Mm-hmm. I can do that at a party and I can do that at work and I can do that in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and the key, uh, no pun intended, but the, the, the key aspect of that is integral. What are they, what am I seeing here? What are, what are they supplying me right here? Is this anger? Is this fear? Is this, you know, what is this? You know, so you can talk about key and the feelings like you just said, or your intent. Uh, you know, I cross train like you do, and the, I've yet to find another martial art that can mimic that social model with, with what you would do on the mat. So I'm in karate, right? Mm-hmm. So I do karate. I love karate. Funakoshi talks about how karate people should be good citizens. But you know how karate people solve things? We chop them, right? We right. hit them in the neck. We elbow them in the nose, right? We kick their knees out from underneath them. If you take that into a social context, that if you take that key into a social context, that doesn't work. Um, you know, and that's I'm really glad you said that because I, as you described it, I described or I, I thought about 
the approach of wrestling. Basically, you control somebody's body, you get on top of them, and you smother them. Mm -hmm. So you talk about, let's say you and I are partners in a business and I take on the wrestling approach and I want you to do something. I'm crawling all over you mm -hmm. and I'm going to force you. I'm going to suff basically suffocate you until you do what I want right. you to do. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. I, and I love wrestling. I, I think th that it's a fantastic, you know, like all, most martial arts have got mm -hmm. fantastic things to offer, but the translation into normal re uh, verbal interaction and relationships is. See, even like a, uh, like Jiu-jitsu, I love jiu-jitsu. Like, I've had so much fun over the past year, you know, playing jiu-jitsu. But if you listen to the language, mm -hmm. we sum you submit people. Mm -hmm. You move to dominant positions. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just yeah. – uh, if you took that attitude into your regular life where you were going to submit your boss, you need mm -hmm. to move into a dominant position over your coworker. Mm -hmm. There, It frames the relationship in a way that Aikido is uniquely – it's unique. It, it doesn't, it doesn't frame human interaction that way. Um, now what's funny is when jujitsu guys do apply it to the real world. And I think they do. I think they can. And I think they do uh, very well, but it, but it's Aikido <laughs> by the time it gets to the, to the interpersonal relationship thing, mm -hmm. it's an Aikido thing. You know, all the people that I know who successfully have used their jujitsu to, uh, change the way they interact with people. They don't use terms like submit and dominant in that context. You know, they do in their, they do on the mat. But again, there's a little bit of a translation that you mm -hmm. you have to make. Now, on the flip side, just like you said, we as Aikido people need to understand that conflict is real. Like mm -hmm. there are people that that is a real thing. You cannot just kumbaya your way out of out of everything. Mm -hmm. And you have to have the judgment to know like, okay, this is getting out of hand. Like I need to, like if you're a boss and you see your team like getting out of control, you need to exercise your dominant position. You mm -hmm. need to put that person into submission. Like you are causing a toxic environment for everyone else here. That has to stop. Like, you have to have the judgment to do that's, that stuff. That's the arena you know? part. The that's the, right. Well, that's the jujitsu part, right? Like, right. again, if you look at Aikido as being um, both the, the Aiki and the jiu-jitsu, which we call Aikido because of a political <laughs> thing that happened, yeah. right? right? You need to have both of those those components. So just like a jiu-jitsu person needs to have, I say jiu-jitsu, it could be anything. It could be Filipino martial art, could be, you know, as a Filipino martial artist, I need to know how to stab people and have the judgment not to stab them, right? I need to have both of those, those things. Mm -hmm. So as an Aikidoka, I need to have the ability to, in my social life, in my on the mat in a self-defense position have the judgment to be able to go like this person's key is not reconcilable with what needs to happen here or or it is we can work with that i can work with that i don't have to like go and smash this guy into smithereens i can we can deal with this and i think what you're yeah. talking about there is the word harmony and i think absolutely if, yeah. if there was a, <clears throat> a misunderstanding about the word harmony it usually is that harmony equals tranquility and that's not the case. Mm. Harmony is, uh, you know, if, if you're angry and I'm peaceful and you're starting to get out of control, I may need to go in closer towards where you are, mm -hmm. meet you in order to bring you back down to being uh, not, no threat to anybody. Yeah. So and, that would be the I character, right. right? So it's often, we often call it harmony, but it could also be joining, right? right. So uh, have you had conflict? 
communications. I think it's conflict yeah. communications from Rory Miller, where he says uh, one of his tactics when dealing with people is he would, he would pull them over to the side. You know, there's this conflict happening. He pulled over to the side and he goes, "Hey, partner, let, can I can I ask you a question real quick?" And when he says partner, what he's saying is like, "You and me, we're on the same team," even though they're not. This is some convict, you know, some murderer, you know, yeah. and he's the corrections officer. But he goes over and he goes, "Hey, dude." I have something to ask you, you know, and only you can answer it. What you've done is you've taken these two um, opposing forces and you've become one thing. We're a team now and we're going to solve this problem together Mm -hmm. as a team. I'm like, you have this guy's key. You've got this guy's key. You do that. Now you're on one team. You can solve the problem. So again, it's not necessarily tranquility Mm -hmm. necessarily. It's taking two different energies, two different keys, making them, making them one sure. um and that has infinite application absolutely socially marshally um just in you know, personally you know mental health you know that that has a lot of implications and so um i don't know we could probably keep doing we could probably done a whole podcast on just those things but yeah you know, exactly some more to list to go and, and i think that covers it pretty well in, in, in yeah. the, the difference and i like how you got to this point of realizing when as tranquil as you are in a moment you may have to step out of that because somebody is so far off of them being tranquil that you need that that blending part uh, in order to guide them from causing significant harm or damage to either you or, or somebody else or an innocent mm-hmm. person. Um, so let's get to the next one, number five, which is the spirit or the subconscious mind. And this is where we're starting to get into how instructors tend to either pose Aikido as a pseudo-religious thing. And I don't use spirit just in the terms of, of like the religious soul or, or whatnot, but what goes on underneath. And, th- and this is where the language c- gets real murky and, and how it can easily be interpreted as, as to being a key is something that is out there that you have a hard time connecting with. And that if you just follow what your instructor tells you to do, he's going to guide you into being able to connect to this wonderfully big um, magical thing. Um, and of course, w- within our own spirit. And when I say spirit, I don't mean like the, a soul necessarily mm-hmm. religiously, but it, the spirit is what goes on inside of you that you don't have mental control over. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, for example, somebody has a restless spirit. They always like doing new things. They like taking on new projects. That's just part of them. They're never going to be able to consciously say, I want to be, I want to behave a different way. You can do that in terms of like language you choose or how you learn manners or, or etiquette, things like that. But inside, like if somebody loves riding motorcycles, that's in their spirit. You're not just Mm going to take that out of them by saying, their motorcycles are dangerous. You shouldn't be riding them. You've got a family, whatever. You're not going to logic your way out of that. Right. And that spirit side inside, there are benevolent spirits and within people that are, they're always going to be kind. They're always going to be generous. Um, That's just who they are. And there's also malevolent spirits. There are people that are just inherently liars, cheats, um what have you and anywhere in between on that scale mm-hmm. you'll have people that are generally honest but have got a few things about them that are that are not necessarily good and and i i do believe though that spirit can be cultivated and by uh having that person put themselves in an environment with positive influences around them they will tend their the, the stuff that's in the spirit that's negative will tend to kind of 
die down. And I think that a perfect example of that is um, Mike Tyson and his relationship with Customato. Uh, Mike Tyson came from a very troubled background. He grew up homeless on the streets. He was in fights all the time. He was a skinny kid. Um, he had a lot of uh, emotional problems and Cus was the gentleman. He, he gave Tyson direction and basically developed his spirit into being uh, as basically as close to a gentleman as possible. And then when Customato died, I mean, within a week, Mike mm -hmm. Tyson kind of reverted back into being sort of a scumbag. And I think it's because underneath in his spirit, he was so troubled. There was so much trauma that that affects you on that deep, in, in, a, in a deep way that's, it's still in there. It's like an instinct. And, you know, to put it, I guess, in academic terms, you could say it's your subconscious mind and which is affected by the things it sees every day. And that's why D'Amato had such a positive influence on Tyson, because he trained with him every day. They had every day. many conversations going on for hours. He brought uh, Tyson into his family. He'd have him over for Thanksgiving dinner. They would come over and he would show him and give him a new environment and try to steep that in. And I think that's what a lot of instructors, when they talk about the key of the spirit, hmm. I think they're describing that, that yeah, yeah. part. I would agree. I would agree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think though that there are very few that, that go to the level that, that D'Amato did with Tyson. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, they were working together six, seven days a week for hours and hours a day. How many instructors, martial art instructors have that kind of connection with their students? Right. Very few. I mean, we get a few hours a week, but still there is, there is that what happens to your spirit as you learn the the physical because you know any martial art training is going to have the physical side the mental side and then the spiritual development mm -hmm. and the spiritual development i even put them in kind of in ranks at first you mm -hmm. learn the physical then you when you get that down enough then you start to get into the mental and when you start to understand that then you start seeing how it affects your spirit and what how your your that part of you that's very hard to change starts to evolve that's interesting that you say that because i would say when we have a student come in and they're specifically looking for aikido mm -hmm. generally they're interested in that final realm right not always not always but, right. but but it's not uncommon for them to go like i liked i've heard i've read that this is a spiritual pursuit mm -hmm. and, I, and i'm going to equate that again not as a religious thing not but as spiritual as uh, this is outside or bigger than self-defense. Than the physical. Right? Yeah. Then, yeah, than the physical, right? They may not always have those those terms. But the way you rank them is correct in terms of process. Mm -hmm. And what winds up happening is people come in and they go, well, I want the spiritual. I'm like, yeah, but you can't stand up straight. So <laughs> I hear, until you do that, okay, mm -hmm. there's no way we can approach any meaningful development down here right. you know so what people do they want to kind of i man i don't know how to say, but I'm, I'm gonna hold my tongue on that one because i want to make sure i think well, and that. i would i would equate this too because i've heard of people musicians that say mm -hmm. music is, is spiritual to me mm -hmm. or or my woodworking i when i get into woodworking it's more than just me making things out of wood i that's how my spirit expresses there's some self-actualization happening right yeah, yeah exactly and and i think that um and this is one of the reasons i love martial arts by the way is i granted i've heard people that say when i go to the gym i get into a that's where my spirit does its thing 
I find just working out boring because it doesn't engage the mind the way that martial arts training engages the mind and the body together. To me, that's the formula that helps me get to, to try to refine that spiritual side as well and where I see the effect. And now granted, you know, playing guitar, there's a physical aspect to that, definitely a mental aspect. And then you get into the physical and with, with every art. I think that's the beauty of, of an art. Um, and so not to say that learning to play guitar really well will make you a good spiritually calm person. Mm. It can, but it doesn't necessarily have to. Um, and I think the, the one thing about the, you know, either woodworking or, or with music or, or some of these solo arts, martial arts is different in the fact that we have to work with other people. Mm -hmm. That adds a layer of complexity to the, to the spiritual development part where you can learn to become a wicked guitar player and never have to consider another person or their feelings or their body or their, you know, their presence. Uh, although if you're in a band, you do. So mm -hmm. that's right. Th then now you've got to work as a team. Now you're, now you have, you have to think beyond yourself. A band is actually probably a really good analogy. I've never thought of it that way, but it's probably a really good analogy for the uke nage mm -hmm. relationship, right? Like if, if one of you is not doing your job, you're, you're going to kind of have a rough night. Right. You know, it's only when both people are really dialed in. And there's degrees of it, yeah. obviously. Mm -hmm. The more dialed in you get, the more chances you get to that self-actualization part. Where, when, when in old books and stuff, they would say, well, you're developing your key. You're developing your spirit. Mm -hmm. That extra, the uke aids in that process. Right. Remarkably so. Because now you have to worry about their well-being but also have to worry about the problem they're presenting for you to solve. So all those things are, are good. Now you can have a really bad UK and still learn about your body mechanics. You can still learn about your connection. Um, you can still learn a lot about yourself going like that dude made me so angry, right? You, you, you know, there is, there is some of that, but in terms of that um, developing the type of person that Aikido, I think tries to develop I, I never thought of it, but it's true. It's that other person that really, I just take it for granted. It's not that I've never thought of it. You just take it for granted. So that's what you do. You get in, you bow, that's your partner, you train, next partner, next partner, next partner. But when you stop and you sit, you mention it like that, like that is the process, right? Of me developing myself. I need that guy to do it. You know? and, and this is something you and I both heard repeatedly throughout our training is if you really want to learn Aikido, it's about your skills as an uke. It, that's it's not it's not 50 50 it's yeah. like 55 to 60 percent of your that is yet to be disproven to me yeah i've yet to see mm -hmm. a awesome aikidoka that was not a really really good uke yep. I, I just does not exist as far as i can see it maybe it exists out there somewhere yeah. but i haven't seen it i i would have to yeah. agree um you know it's it, it, it's and i think that comes to the part of the spirit too and um but the next one, I think, is the one that that is probably the hardest one to pin down or to really get clarity on, and that is that key is a universal life energy mm -hmm. that we want to connect with. I maybe you've heard a good description of of how to connect to it, but boy, I think we could talk for an hour and not come up with we come up with a bunch of word yeah. salad that basically doesn't really you have a hard time explaining to somebody. So. I have heard a good way, right? For me, 
and church, right? right? And for somebody else, it's going to be a mosque. And for somebody else, it's going to be a synagogue. So here's what I think the life energy thing's about. Um, I wasn't around in the 60s. I wasn't, I wasn't doing Aikido. I wasn't born. I wasn't, I wasn't doing any of that. I can only imagine that when the idea of energy hits America during the 1960s, that it was just the time was right for it to be construed as this thing and 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 it's just kind of whatever goes because right? it's kind of a groovy concept it's kind of, it's just, yeah it's just kind of like yeah man like whatever you think is out there you know it's mm-hmm. it's fine if it's god to you if it's buddha to you if it's it, and it and that time period i think allowed for that to happen you know sure. and so if you're it, you know, so if you're bringing key and people are starting to latch onto it, you don't go, it's God. You don't go, it's, you go like, it's a life energy. It can be, it can be whatever, man. It can be right. whatever you want right. it to be. And, and it uh, doesn't matter if you don't understand it or can't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's probably better if you don't. Yeah, whatever. It's probably yeah. better if you don't understand it. You just, you people will like you better if you don't tell them mm-hmm. what it is. You know, just, just sure. it can be. And uh, so I really think that life energy thing, mm-hmm. again, I, I'm not a historian or anything like that. I just think it's a product of its time. I don't think it's anything more than that. I just think it hit here at a time period where that helped connect to a, a new generation mm-hmm. of people. Yeah, that and makes sense. I, I, don't, I don't really think that there's anything. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think. But, but again, because it's such, the reason it's so nebulous is because it's so personal. Mm-hmm. Because whatever you think that universal life energy thing is, Mm-hmm. It can be very different from the person next you to know, you. And this is an observation of, of people that pursue religion generally. And I, and I would count that there are a, a fair amount of people in Aikido that are looking for the same things that religion offers, but maybe they don't really want a religion per se. Mm-hmm. They're, they're looking for that some larger thing larger than themselves mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of difficult to understand so they can take time to, to try to learn it. Um, it provides a certain amount of um, the idea that the universe has an energy and that that energy is positive. That's another thing that needs to be appreciated that you are trying to attach to. Because mm-hmm. that's, I, th- I think, when you boil it down to, uh, you know, people that, that attach to God because God is positive, that they, that's, they view that this is, you know, them getting a, um, a positive influence in their life. That's, beyond their 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 touch what they are capable of right yeah yeah yeah. and um you know i I think in studying things like uh natural law which is uh, a fascinating one of my one of my pet topics i really like it but if you look at the universe in terms of a set of laws or a set of you know being the physical world and uh, of what it is if you're in harmony with that you're going to have an easier time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you could put that down into tangible terms of, you know, part of the, the, the laws of nature are the laws of physics. If you understand how gravity works, you know that if you step off a bridge to a hundred foot drop, you're going to die. And then therefore you choose not to step off a mm-hmm. cliff or a bridge, you'll live. If you don't understand how that works and you go, well, I can just have an umbrella and I'll float yeah. down and now you die because you yeah. didn't understand the nature. You didn't understand, right? Yeah. Right. And I think that, that that's the most basic description of it. But the same thing holds true to there are basically natural laws which govern the interaction of people. 
there are, and, and they, they would call this uh, uh, praxeology, which is the, the, um, the study of, of human incentive. You know, for example, if I, you know, leave a hundred dollar bill out on, out of my side uh, in front of my house every day, and you're my neighbor and you walk by and you go, Oh, look at this hundred dollar bill. You pick it up. You're going to keep walking by my house mm -hmm. every day. Yep. Right? And not because there's any magical force in the universe that's describing, you know, how things right. work, but we know what human incentive is. Yep. And, and disincentive happens the same way. If every time you step out of your house, I yell at you for being an asshole. I'm going to go out the back door. I'm, I'm, you and I are going to have yeah. a, a, not a very yeah. positive or harmonious relationship. Yep. Um, and so granted, there's nowhere that's all of these things are written down, but the concept of natural law is that there's, there are rules that, that determine the relationship between everything, mm -hmm. between we human beings and, and the planet, um, between you human beings. Social interactions. And social like, interaction, yeah. community interaction, economics, all of that stuff falls into the rules of how things work. Like the laws mm -hmm. of supply and demand are, that's how the universe functions. And there's, you, you violate that at your peril mm -hmm. or you, you don't understand you're ignorant of that at your peril and so i think if you embody all that kind of like the word key embodies all right. seven it's just points. a really complex yeah. system exactly. that you're trying to you say that down to one word all of that natural law and if you operate in harmony with the universe then you will do well i to me that's kind of what osensei was describing when he described harmony with the universe and I am not, wrong. I, I'm not qualified to say like what he intended, but I think sure. that tracks, you know sure. what I mean? Like, I don't know. He first. Okay. A couple layers of this one. I don't think most people knew what he was talking about. Okay? Agreed. Yeah. First off. Okay. <laughs> Second of all, if we did know what he was talking about, I'm not qualified to say whether he meant it metaphorically or meant it literally. Sure. I'm just not qualified. I don't. I don't know the language. Yep. I don't. I haven't gone through this one. Well, and I know that uh, the people that were there that did speak native Japanese, they didn't know what he was. They didn't talking. know what was going. So, on. so what am I going to do? <laughs> That's the hilarious part. The guys that were sitting like right there didn't know what was happening, but all of a sudden, me here in Texas is like, what he really meant was, how yep. am I going to know? I, I don't exactly. know. All we can but do is guess. We could just guess, right? So, uh, but I do think what you're saying tracks. You mm -hmm. know. Uh, it's actually this thing, um, you know, we talked about the other day, uh, I read that article on Ian Abernathy's forum about common sense. Mm -hmm. And there's this uh, Japanese scholar who was hanging out in England. And when he goes back, he's explaining common sense to his fellow countrymen. But it sounds like mystical mumbo jumbo. It's like, sure. it's this knowledge that goes beyond knowledge. It's mm -hmm. knowledge beyond study and it's knowledge beyond research and the Englishman will always trust this inside knowledge beyond anything else. But we call it common sense, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just culturally, as you once you take it out of England, it just sounds like this, I don't, I don't you know, yeah. this ethereal knowledge that's just poured into you. But it's nothing to us, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's something like that. It just culturally didn't make, make the jump over here. And we wanted it to be, and again, like I said, I do think historically it just landed in a time when it was um, a really fruitful time to talk about things in terms of life energy. And, you know, you know and, and even the word energy, I think is, is one of those things where um, it's got a cool feel to it. When you think mm -hmm. of energy, you think, yeah. well, there's electricity, that's energy. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. it, it powers things. It, it allows us to enjoy 
good things. Yeah, if you go so to a concert, right? there's a lot of energy. That, a, you know. a positive connotation to it, but even physicists don't understand. They understand the nature of electricity, but they still can't tell you why it works. So, and the same thing with gravity. There's no, there's no explanation of why why gravity works, but we know and have quantified exactly how it functions, but we can't haven't gotten to what exactly creates it. So that's a really good rule of thumb, Tristan, from here on. If you're an Aikido instructor, here's your rule of thumb. If you can't explain how electricity works, maybe don't try to explain how mystical universal life energy works okay i think you, I, I don't think you're qualified to talk about one unless you're qualified to talk about about the Fair other enough that's yeah. that's a good one and i'm gonna um, go from that from now on like and, and i will say this too that that having gone through this my students really like the way that i describe things because i don't use this vague language that's hard to understand that you know is kind of a word salad of a bunch of cool sounding words that don't really have tangible mm -hmm. definitions. And I've been told repeatedly that they, they enjoy mm -hmm. that experience of, of explaining things in tangible ways that, that don't leave them kind of wondering, like, mm -hmm. do I need to go read about this? Because I don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's just, if you look at tech, uh, teaching as a technology that can be advanced, mm -hmm. I think that this is a good time to start advancing past mm -hmm. some of these really hard to explain terms i, I want to say having come up uh in a dojo where we use the terms all the time key extend your key blend with their key uh, I, I would say i don't think that there's inherently anything wrong with it if you understand as an instructor that the only reason you're if your students understand it is because it's paired with what they felt right sure and you, and if you understand the outside of the four walls of your dojo it doesn't mean anything it's jargon okay sure. because if you say extend key and someone else says extend key there's no guarantee you're saying the same thing right but your students might know what you're talking about right and their students might know what they're talking about yeah but that's not but you have to understand you have to be okay with that if yeah. you're not okay with that then you you need to retool you and and this is out. where and I think we've had this discussion before, but and this is where I have kind of ditched uh, teaching Tohei's uh, mm -hmm. four principles of mind body unification because keep your one point. I've yet to hear a good description of exactly in intangible terms what that means. But um, you know what it means when your teacher said it, right? Because I of kind of did, but if I after hearing it and being taught for years, I can't explain it cleanly. To me, there's there's something amiss there. Uh -huh. like there's there's something missing, and that's why I've I've drifted more towards mm -hmm. the coaching and trying to describe the internal stuff in mm -hmm. practical terms because I've gotten so much better purchase with it with my students when they go, yeah, okay, I get this, I understand, and you can see them try to try to get that, but the the terms and maybe it could be this is a Japanese translation thing, I don't know, but the keep the one point, I just. I haven't been able to find a good way to just to describe it. Right. Um, you know, the weight underside, that's a little easier. Mm -hmm. uh, even the extend key. I, and the, within extend key, it's the word extend that tends to get people, okay, I understand what mm -hmm. extending is. But then we get right back to the topic of the episode. Okay, key, we're extending key. What, what are we extending? Exactly is key. That, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Are we extending our emotions? Are we extending our, our nuanced connection? Are we extending our internal strength? Are we, mm -hmm. you know, and this is, I get frustrated by those terms because I can see students have trouble with it. If, 
if there was a time period, and again, I, I don't know, I've only been training Aikido since the early 90s. So if there was a time period where if you said extend key or blend with key and everyone in the Aikido organization knew what you were talking about, mm-hmm. I don't see a thing wrong with it. Sure. But it's a big <laughs> if. It's, it's a big if. <laughs> but the minute that it's, uh, it's like you said, like you started this conversation. If it starts to add more confusion than clarity, and if it slows the learning process down in any way, it, we at least need to re-examine. Right. Just examine. Maybe you look at it again and go like, nope, I like it. And I, I think, I, the, you know. yeah, I think the rule of thumb is the more of these definitions you use for key, the more confusion you're going to have. Mm-hmm. It's like the apple. Yep. Nine different things are an apple. And you say, give me an apple. And like, all right, which one are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, then that's that's inherently the the coach's problem or the or the instructor's problem to all right, now I'm kind of painted myself into a corner by using key to describe all these different things, and now there's no clarity with it. And and a lot of times, like your students will pick it up through context. Um, what you're talking about. I, I mean, quite honestly, there are things that I might think that I'm being very clear about. There could be 70% of my students are just going, oh, I'm talking about that stuff again. I don't even know what he, that, that, that could be happening, right? And I don't yep. even know. It's a really, you know, just now occurred to me, the epiphany, like being a teacher is a hard thing, right? Because yeah, sometimes you, you think that you're, you could have had an entire generation of going like, we're all on the same page, extend mm-hmm. your key. And you had 80% of the students going like, I don't know what he means, but it feels like this. And, you know, no one ever said anything, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think our students, I think, are better about going like, hey, what are you talking about? Which is helpful. Hard for the ego, but it's helpful. I think that's crucial. And it's one of those things that actually bridges us into the last one, which is the sorcery part. And that is that every student wants to be on the same page with their instructor. So if you come out as an instructor, or let's say I come out as an instructor and I say, I blather five minutes of word salad about key and they're all sitting there and I say, okay, do you understand this? Every single one of them is going to nod their head and go, yep. Because mm-hmm. they're going to, they're trying, they've opened the book of their mind and they're, they're letting you write on the page mm-hmm. and they want to try to process it. And they don't want to say, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand. Yeah, who wants to be that guy? Stupid right? In front yeah. of everybody else. Because nine out of 10 are going to go, yeah, that guy's an idiot. I get it. Why doesn't he get it? Yeah. Right. And they, nor do they want to challenge the instructor by saying, what you told me just now makes no sense. I mm-hmm. want you to make sense. Make me understand mm-hmm. what you've just said and, and how to apply this. They don't want to do that because that would make their instructor look bad. Like they're saying you're a bad instructor, mm-hmm. kind of in so many words. And so there's like a natural resistance wall. And this is part of, of, human, of human behavior in the herd uh, and the social bonds and the, the herd behavior. They want to go along with everybody else. Everybody else says they, they understand this. I don't, but I'll pretend. And this gets into the sorcery part and the fact that, A, one, you're just basically endorsing a poor instructor who doesn't describe things very well. Mm-hmm tacitly and the second one is when you start to believe what they tell you they you're now giving them the power of suggestion which is a hypnotic trick um and this is what in my opinion explains the george dillmans of the world Mm -hmm. even some of the aikido shihans and seniors that are doing a lot of these no touch throws and seemingly just waving their hands in the air and, and people are just flipping over that's what happens when that process 
goes on for an extended amount of time. Mm -hmm. Now I've heard it from uh, when, and, and we see this in even films of Osensei where he throws people without even touching them. Mm -hmm. I have heard accounts of people that trained with him that said every time he touched you, it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and that I didn't want to get hit by him because he hits like a freight train. So, how many times are you going to get smashed in the forehead before you just start to go like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to shoot my head. my head out of the way yeah. rather than get hit. And so what happens is, and I think this is like you were talking a, a generational thing. When somebody approaches you and you were shown that you throw your head back when they wave their hand. Now you get, and I think this doesn't even need a generational shift to happen. I think this happened with Osensei. He got to the point where if he waved his hand, somebody would flip over and, and he'd be kind of like, oh, I don't really need to have an honest hit. I can just mm -hmm. you know, move at the right time. And I uh, just watched a uh, seminar from um, Satomi, does mm -hmm. the exact same thing. I don't think this is a one single person's failure. I think that this is, or even culture. people, I think this is a process mm -hmm. by which when you when you train long enough and you you set that situation up you're actually self-hypnotizing you're mm -hmm. hypnotizing yourself into because you're hypnotizing everybody else into behaving a certain way and this is why george dillman can tap somebody on the forehead or point at them and they collapse unconscious because they've been hypnotized into this response and that's why Dillman, whenever he would do like a news reporter or somebody say, I want you to, to do, do a no touch knockout with me. And it never works. Like never not once it, yeah. did it ever work. Um, and and I, I do think that this is how Aikido has gotten such a bad reputation because it's gone so far down that road uh, without the reality check. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, without actual interaction from a, a, an intent mm -hmm. Uke, who's not been trained to respond by throwing his head and throwing his body rather than be touched. That's where the, the valid concern of, is this real anymore? It, and I, maybe I'm being naive because of my love for the art and my, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying that uh, as a whole, the art is like uh, at its most martial that it's ever been. I know it's not. I know that. Mm -hmm. But I also know that there's just like, Mad road Aikido, right? Where it's not the most martial thing, but you are physically moving a human being. They are grabbing you. You are blending. Mm -hmm. um, the the resistance level is low. That's I would call it. Like, that's just like Aikido. It's regular Aikido, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say ninety nine schools do that middle Aikido. It's just going to take one hitting the internet of a no touch guy, and then that's Aikido. Right. But then you get two. And then you get three and then you get four. It's still the minority. It's a statistical mm -hmm. uh, anomaly. Mm -hmm. But how many of those have to hit before you go on like, well, that must be what they do. Like that must be right. Aikido. Even though most of us are, are doing an, this middle of the road, classical Aikido training, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so and again, I, I, add, I, add I, I want to, oh, go ahead. The, I would add to that too, a number of the instructors that will post up uh, classes or instruction videos that cover a word salad of what key is and they go through all of these different things which is confusing that also reinforces the what on earth are these people talking about yeah um so i think that there's a link to that yeah yeah it's just you know it's what's out there right it's what people mm -hmm. see and it's yeah it's it's tough it's a tough uh thing to to counter no, I, against and to be fair i also i, I uh, 
an Aikidoka told me this story years ago at a seminar and I was fascinated and he said, and because this doesn't necessarily or entirely discount the idea that you can surprise somebody and get them to throw themselves. Mm -hmm. um, he was sitting on a, on a bus platform and he saw this guy come running up the steps next to the bench that he was on and he was being chased by a cop. So obviously this guy was a bad guy trying to get mm -hmm. away. And he said he, he had his, on his flat on his keychain. He had a little like push button flashlight. Uh -huh. And so he, as the guy was running up the steps, he kind of casually stood up and the guy ran up the steps and turned and ran right. He was running right by him at full speed. He said, all I did was I held this out at eye level and I turned the flashlight on and the guy just absolutely irriminated him and yep. he landed flat on his back. He couldn't breathe because he knocked the wind out of himself. The cop caught up with him, arrested him. He said, I never touched the guy. Yeah. But, it, but the idea of surprising somebody, there is a certain amount of validity to that. Could you count on it if you needed it in every circumstance? Of course not. It's just a possibility. Um, but I think it's, uh, I, I wouldn't want to count on it. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, we've seen it too in wrestling. We've seen it in boxing. We've seen it in jujitsu where somebody just overcommits. A guy slips a punch, a guy does a duck under, mm -hmm. doesn't lay a hand on him and the guy hits flat, right. you know? And at no point, and this is where it's like a cultural thing. And I'm not talking Japanese. I mean, Aikido, the culture. Right. At no point does the wrestling coach go, well, my, my dude used his key. Like, okay. <laughs> right. And, but, right at no point did, did that happen at no point yeah. in did the, did the guy come back to his corner and go like who it's like we worked on you know i just yeah. i manipulated his key even though there's a an element of truth to that sure he did manipulate that guy's key exactly he did and, and i think that's where you key. enter into the realm of the ego to say yes. oh that wasn't accidental i i meant that to happen yeah. and that's that's just feeding your own kind of your own arrogance um <laughs> And this is, you know, on the subject of hypnotism, um, there's also, uh, I guess, and I would, I would call this a mild level of hypnotism called NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. And there was, um, like, there was a guy, I think back in the late eighties or early nineties that came up with this way of teaching neuro-linguistic programming. It's a way of using a, a simple level of suggestion. And, and he packaged his, his, this product up in terms of like, let's say you're a salesman or a marketer and you want to get buy-in from people here, are la basically language tricks that you use to get them mm. to do something they don't really want to do, or to believe something that they normally would be skeptical of. This would help people sell whatever products they were, they were selling. It wound up becoming a staple of advertising of marketing, mm -hmm. uh, sales tricks and whatnot. Um, but it's, it's a method for getting buy-in. And one of the, the techniques that's used is something every teacher and instructor uses, which is framing. You frame a specific thing that you want somebody to look at. And when you do that, you sort of eliminate all of the other variables because you just want to focus on one thing. So framing is a valid teaching technique. In fact, I think it's a necessary one. The problem comes when you start adding things in that are not, um, that are more getting conveying that suggestion to get people to believe something that's not really valid. Uh, and this would be, you know, selling a lemon of a car to somebody or, or they, they come in and they want to buy a minivan and you try to sell them a sports car and you convince yeah. them why the sports car is really what they want. And they don't want the minivan They're whatever it was that they came in for. Yeah, your kids can walk. 
They don't need right. seats back and, there, right? And, yeah. And the 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 most dangerous thing, and I think this is where the sorcery part lands. The easiest time that, that you will ever have of convincing somebody of something is when they want to believe it. When they want mm -hmm. to believe that they can use this magical key to heal themselves, to become invisible, to walk through walls, to levitate, to overcome a more powerful attacker. They, they want that so bad. You don't need to frame very much. You can just do a little bit of suggestion and basically get them to play along with the trickery. And I think this is why George Dillman has students. You know, you, his classes have got dozens of people in them. They want to believe in that magical power. And he all he does is say, I can give it to you. And he's confident. And he's got a method for bringing people into a, an environment that's already been preconditioned to, to respond in a certain way. And of course, new people will say, all right, I'm going to respond the way all these other people respond, because that's the herd psychology. Mm -hmm. He's, he's struck upon the, that is the magic. It's right. the human manipulation that is the sorcery part. And so in a <clears> sense, <throat> it's true, right? Yeah. In like, a, in because a there's sense, this nuance to it. In a sense, it's true, you know? Right. It's, and it's, you can't say that hypnotism is not an actual thing. You yes. know, you get, so you say the word burrito and somebody starts clucking like a chicken mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It has limited application and there, and there is no application mm -hmm. for somebody's, earnestly swinging a punch at your head and you're going to, you know, no touch knockout with them or no touch throw them. It's, it's, it's really little more than parlor trickery. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the danger part. And, and, you know, of course, as you go to a class and you, you see instruction, you will always see an instructor framing things. Just be very careful that you're not so eager to, to believe something that if you've really thought about it, wouldn't make sense to you. Mm -hmm. And why you, 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 and every student has to choose what they accept and what they are skeptical of. Um, but that's, that is how you guard against mm -hmm. the sorcery. And I'm, I'm, I'm supremely frustrated that there's, there are a lot of sorcerers in the Aikido realm. Well, if the problem is the kind of person that would be okay we'll call them our sorcerers, right? Being sorcerers would be so even if it wasn't aikido they'd be karate they'd be used car it, oh yeah absolutely you know it, they would find a realm they just happen to land here right yeah there's nothing wrong with being used car salesman i'm sure that many of you are out there very very legit people i'm talking about like swarming kind of thing mm -hmm. they just happen to land in aikido mm -hmm. if but if you're a well-intentioned instructor mm -hmm. and you're worried about oh man am i fostering this or am i in danger of this i mean this is not my intent my, my number one piece of advice would be uh, just to remember it kind of doesn't matter what you can do. Like if even if I could throw somebody without touching them, which I cannot, but if I could, if 95% of my students couldn't under a genuine test, mm -hmm. what difference does it make? Like it absolutely only matters what they can do. So again, if I say extend, if my brain says extend key and I have a pretty good frame, Mm -hmm. I have a pretty good structure, mm -hmm. but I say extend key and my students don't, how is that helpful, right? That's not useful at all. But if I teach muscle recruitment and 10 minutes later, everyone can do it, five minutes is really more realistic. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. So we should be doing that. We should be doing the thing that is most helpful to our students. So, you know, if you are worried like, oh man, I do use key. I do use that term. I mean, I learned it. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that inherently as long as it is 
you're still being a benefit to your student and it is the most benefit to your student. Right. Have you, have you tried something else? You know, have you tried talking about things in different ways? Um, and as long as you keep your student in mind, mm-hmm. right. As long as you keep your, you're a student centric instructor versus a, an ego centric instructor, like what I can show off, what I can, what I can demo. I think you're probably going to be all right. Yeah. You know, and, and your, your, your process is going to be okay. Yep. So I guess to kind of wrap all this up to answer the question, uh, is key real or is it BS? I think each one of these things that we've talked about are real, uh, but there's so much, so much complexity to it. And there, this key thing has so many facets. Having one word just doesn't, is, it's not clear. Um, and of course, each person can uh, interpret or define how their what their definition of key is, and if they, they teach that to their students, or that's what they have. But I guess the last one, I, last point on this, I want to make is just be careful about arguing your definition of key versus other people's, because there are so many. Like it's a waste of time to, and 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 it's also a waste of of good attitude when you get into an argument about. Mm-hmm what key is or what it isn't because of there being so many definitions. Um, you know, I, I personally think a, a language would do well to put a different word to every one of them so that there is, it's not the Apple problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, come up with different uh, qualifiers and even fire key, earth key, air key, water key, at least that's, those are qualifiers that elaborate a little bit more of what the word key is meant to meant to describe. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think it's a bit lazy to try to use one word to, to define nine different things <laughs> that are all vastly yeah. different. Um, and I, I get frustrated, I get frustrated when I am confusing to my students. I hate that. And I'm always on on the watch for, you know, I, I watch my students to, to see the reflection of my teaching. If mm-hmm. if I get clarity and when with them usually which which comes with they nod and they they understand but it really gets home when i see them stand up and they do technique and it works reliably especially Mm -hmm. when we start breaking the frame now we say okay we're not going to do just this one exact expression of technique now uke starts to do throw throw variables in and their nage's technique still starts working like it's reliable through all kinds of different expressions because the principles got hammered in. right yeah yeah and they they can also self-analyze they know i know okay this technique didn't go as smooth as i wanted and i know exactly why my, my distance can, was off my timing was off right? yeah. yeah and to me that's the byproduct of not just saying well your key was not right they they will never say well that technique didn't work because my key wasn't wasn't where it was they'll say I know where my structure was weak. I know where I lacked connection. I know where, when, when I use the tangible terms for what they should be doing, mm-hmm. it's easier for them to identify and troubleshoot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've told this story before. I think I've told you the story before. We had someone come in uh, as a visitor several years ago and we were working a, a Yoko Minuchi cooking. I have like a Hijitoshi or something like that. And uh, my student, I guess, I wasn't there. I didn't see, I didn't see this particular exchange, but she said, uh, Hey, this guy just told me like, I need to breathe in his key more. 
And I, and I was super frustrated because like that was completely useless feedback to my student. And then I was like, but I also knew what he meant. <laughs> you know, that was even more frustrating to me. It was like, I know what you mean. I like, what he meant was draw him out more, increase the range a little bit, you know, take him off balance. But again, I could explain it, but the guy who was actually doing it couldn't explain it. I'm, that's a problem. Just don't be that guy. Don't tell, hey, listen, don't tell people to breathe in your key, man. It's not, it's not helpful. It's pretty creepy. And yeah, I think too that if we go back to that, the, you know, the, the physical layer, then the mental layer, then yeah. the spiritual layer, if you learn coming up rather than going down, mm-hmm. you're going to understand and get there. Same thing as if you teach, if you're teaching and you try to teach this way, where you're describing the spiritual yeah. and then you try to describe the mental to get to the physical, you're going to get a disconnection. Mm-hmm. You're not going to connect with students at all. I find that it, the understanding really goes built like a pyramid up from the bottom every time better way to do it yeah start with the if they don't get the physical they ain't going to understand the mental if they don't Mm -hmm. start getting the mental they're certainly not going to understand the spirit side spiritual level and i think that's what he would that he was doing he was trying to he's coming from the top down yeah you know and and i've noticed the exact same thing and i've Mm -hmm. i've gotten such advice or similar. And I've yes. had, uh, you know, students come back from seminars and they go, it's the same thing. So, this guy said this thing. What the, what, did what that is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> what is he talking? What should I have been doing? And yeah. Uh, um, find a new partner. That's what you should yeah, do. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, just make the most of it and move on. Yeah. So, well, cool. I think uh, we covered a ton of stuff here today. So is there anything you would like to wrap up on or point to? to end no, on? I just want to thank discussion. Thank you for having me on. And I want to thank anybody listening to this because I know this can be a hot topic. I know that it it can affect sort of your own personal view of your art and your own personal identity. So um, if you're listening and you have an open mind about it, I really appreciate anybody doing that. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you all for for coming on. I was uh, very much looking forward to this episode and it did not disappoint. We covered a lot of great stuff. And um, like you said, I think this is a hot topic of, just one of the biggest misunderstandings and, and confusing things in, in the Aikido world, even in the martial arts world, just in general, it's not even mm-hmm. Aikido specific, but we tend to embrace it more because it's right in our it's name. It's in our name. Yeah, yeah. We, can't, we can't run from it. Exactly. So. Exactly. So thank you very much. And uh, everybody uh, enjoy your day. Thank you guys. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.